in the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Would you please be seated? We've embarked on a new sermon series, uh, the idea being that there are these images given to us in the Old Testament of what the promised Savior will be. And so each week we have a, an Old Testament um, icon or image paired with a New Testament text. Last week was the, the promise of a, a descendant of Eve who would conquer the serpent and Jesus who victoriously does that on our behalf. This week we have Abram and kind of a stern parable. And I'm going to do my best to kind of make sense of these two things and, and why they belong together. I'm going to try my best to say Abram all morning, but I might say Abraham. Do you guys know why? Why? It's the same guy. All right. Um, the Lord said to Abram, go. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. This is not normal. Nothing about this Old Testament reading is normal based on the way the world works. And we don't know a whole lot of Abram's backstory. He's 75 years old when he departs. We have a little bit um, but we know kind of what people understood about gods and people from this time period and in this place. The gods were not typically interested in human affairs or in the flourishing of a particular family. They were not typically mobile. A god with authority over there did not typically get involved over here. Gods were not typically trustworthy. They were fickle and capricious. My son has been enjoying the, the Rick Riordan books that involve uh, modern-day demigods and what if the gods, you know, the Greek and Roman gods were still about their business and um, not trustworthy, these stories. And these gods were not typically telos-minded. They didn't have a mission in mind, no, no greater purpose. They were self-indulgent. The gods did what was good for them, whatever brought them enjoyment. And so even when they might work through a human, it was always, you know, sort of jockeying for position in the heavens. All right, back to Abram. Following the not very normal thing where God tells him to leave everything and go, and the perhaps even more not normal thing where Abraham gets up and goes... He's given this promise. I will make of you, well, first of all, God says, I'm going to give you land, which was a pretty big promise in and of itself. Abram was just a wandering nomad. He didn't have land of his own. And God goes on, I will make of you a great nation, Nation here doesn't mean like we think of nations with governments and flags and borders. Um, nations, really, in the, when the Bible speaks of nations, it means clans, 
families, tribes, okay? So you nomad, I will give land, and you childless one, I will give the gift of many children. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I, God, will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As the Old Testament goes on, we see that this gets kind of fulfilled. Indeed, God gives Abram's descendants, well, first of all, he gives Abram descendants. That's like the big news. That's the headline. Childless man becomes father of a great nation. He also makes of Abram um, his name exalted. We, we see over and over again as, as the story moves on that, that Abram is recognized as the father of the people of God. So, land, check. Numerous descendants, great nation, check. Abram's name, exalted, check. We get to verse 3. Let's look at these. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Hmm. Kind of, right? In the Scriptures we see sometimes, um, if, we, if we think in terms of like people who yay Israel or boo Israel, we see sometimes Israel's friends are blessed and sometimes enemy, Israel's enemies are cursed, but not always. And, you know, the thousands of years in between, that one seems, when we look at it, kind of hit or miss. All right, well, the last half of verse 3, in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We don't really see that happen in the Old Testament, do we? We don't see nations all over blessed because of Abram. All right, so I want you to hold that like, huh, what's going on there? And I want to just point out that the rest of the Old Testament, though, reveals that the God who calls Abraham, that the, he's not normal compared to these other gods. He doesn't act like the gods that were believed in elsewhere. God is interested in human affairs. He is interested in, in the people who worship him. He is God everywhere. Right? God calls Abram out of uh, Haran, and then he appears in Canaan. So he's not just God over there. He's God over here too. And of course, we see that he is God all over throughout the rest of the Bible. God is trustworthy. He delivers on these promises, and he has an end in mind. He seems to be up to something consistently over and over but if he's up to something, and if he's trustworthy, what about these promises that don't seem to be fulfilled in Abram? For me, I, I think there's a key here in verse 3 that was helpful, and which makes sense of why we might pair this New Testament text and this Old Testament text, and it's this. Abram's own descendants, time and time again, fail to bless him. Abram's descendants do not walk in faith as Abram walks in faith. 
And so if we think of those who bless Abram and don't bless Abram as God's own people, we see that actually this does seem to be the, the, the biblical pattern. As God's people walk in faith, as they draw near to God, they are blessed. And as they walk apart, they are disciplined. They're judged to be brought back into the fold. And then Jesus, the son of Abram, comes. And last week, remember, victorious over sin and death and the grave. And in that victory, we read that he, in fact, opens up that promise to all people. And so that that promise that was waiting for fulfillment generation after generation, that, that all the families of the earth shall be blessed, now is fulfilled in Jesus because he conquers sin and death and because he is the God everywhere, every person, every family of earth is loved by God, every tribe, every tongue, every culture, God loves those people. But Jesus calls all of those people he loves to repentance. He says in John chapter 8, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Right? They have not walked in faith. And certainly those who have yet to hear are not, who have not heard the good news about God, they are not walking in faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Jesus calls them out of love this offspring of Eve, this victorious one over the serpent, uh, we sometimes hear uh, Pastor Mike talk about the image of, of Christ standing at the door and knocking, right? But this time we have the other side of the coin. He's opened the door begging people to come in, making no distinction between um, different families. It doesn't matter what you were born into. You're welcome. East, west, north, and south come feast at the table that God has set. Jesus is the culmination of a story about a God who, not normally, is interested and involved, trustworthy and faithful, and working to a purpose. Now, this call to repentance Jesus gives is meant first at the people in general. And so I don't want to overly... um, get into the minutia of the parable, he's calling Israel as a whole to repent, saying, uh, stop waiting. Stop thinking that you can have time to get it right. Come on in. Otherwise, you're going to see other people come in and you'll be left out. But at the same time, many people, particularly uh, around us in, in the world that we live in, many people are around the call of God and have not entered in. It's not enough to to just want the benefits of knowing Jesus. It's not enough to come to church and want to go to heaven. There is an important piece in the middle, which is that we have to make Jesus' death, in which he conquers the serpent, we have to make that death our own death. The good news is that if we will do that, if we will die, then surely we will live. The good news is that nobody who comes to Jesus will be turned away while there is time. The party 
given in this parable is for you, every one of you. Every one of you, too. Come on in. Nobody will be turned, turned away while there is time, but some of us are coming to church, and we are eating and drinking with Jesus, and we have skipped the part where we die to sin and die to self. We have not actually joined the party, and if parties aren't your thing, I'm going to ask you to kind of do the work of, like, what is the thing God is offering you? Um, maybe it's like a party where you read books, uh, a library party. You can use your imagination. There is some kind of gathering that God is doing that, that hopefully we want to be a part of, and we will, we will die to ourselves and die to sin. We, we die to the normal way the world works. And join the party of God. Verse 25 in, in this Luke passage is clear. There is not always more time. And uh, as the saying goes, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Coming to church does not save you. Being around people who are saved does not by itself save you. Proximity does not save you. There are clearly in this, this parable people who, who are around the master of the house who never come inside. And one day it will be too late. May we not be those kinds of people. Instead, we must bless Abram. We must accept life by faith. But what's that got to do with this final promise? Well, yes, all nations coming in, but we're in Fleming Island. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this? And again, we, we see um, Paul makes the link for us in Romans chapter 7 quite clear that to be saved is to become a member of Christ's body. We've, we hear this uh, phrase a lot in the church, if you've been around a while, with a body of Christ. We have become members of his body. Members of the body don't all get their own great purpose, their own mission. Jesus has a mission to save all the families of the earth. And so if that's Jesus' mission, that's also the mission of his fingers and toes and arms and legs and eyes and ears and, and all the parts of Christ. They have the same mission. Jesus was about his Father's business. If we are one with him, we've got to be about his Father's business. That God who is loving the nations, who is inviting them in, that's our business. And Paul says, therefore, you must bear the fruit of being Christ's body. That is the fruit of multiplication, the body growing, more people coming in. We are to bear fruit. Abram's family, interestingly enough, was on their way to Canaan. Uh, Abram's father had actually set out from another country to Canaan, and they never get there. We don't know why. But God calls Abram to carry on. And so Abram finishes what his father began. But Jesus completes what Abraham started in a, in a new way. Jesus has finished that work, but the church must carry on the completion. 
Christ's work is done. Christ has done what Israel could not do. Israel was not able to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. But Jesus has done that for us, but we have to to carry that forward. And so if we want the name of the church to be made great, first we must live by faith, blessing Abraham, but we must also take seriously that the master of the house didn't finish letting people in once we got in there. I lived in St. John's County for a while, and the social media was filled with people who always thought that there was too much growth in the county. I don't know if any of you live there, but it's funny. Almost every single one of them thought it was great right around the time they moved there. There was consensus that there was too much growth up until basically at every point after each one individually had moved there. So that was 20 years ago, or 50 years ago, or five years ago, or last year. There's too many people now. Well, if we think the kingdom is full once we get in, we've missed what our Father is about. Time is short. That's the essence of this Luke parable. Time is short. We have less time than we think. So who do you know? Who is missing from the party? Who will you miss when the doors are closed? We were reminded at our clergy conference last week that the next generation of Christians isn't here yet. Of course they're not. They don't know. Who do you know that you will miss when the doors are shut? Where can you go? The nursery here needs people who will love the next generation of Christians. But so do our schools. So do our places of work. And some of you are called to go to Costa Rica or Nepal or some other land, possibly. Who do you know? Where can you go? Because I have to say, going is not normal. The normal thing is that we stay. We stay with our people. We stay with, with our families. We stay in our land. And we stay about our own business. But if we've come to know Christ, we're not normal anymore. Sorry. You all know I'm not normal, but it turns out that to belong to Jesus is to give the claim of being normal by the standards of the world. And so we take the risk. We tell people the good news instead of minding our own business. We make sure that our friends hear the invitation to this party. Some people play tennis and they make friends. And they tell their friends about the Jesus who loves them. Some people volunteer. I got involved in my son's school, but one way or another, if you don't know anybody who's not already inside, you you gotta do something, right? But it doesn't have to be across the world. If we filled every church in Clay County twice on Sunday, we wouldn't reach anywhere near all of Clay County. So 
we need people right here who will meet their neighbors and get to know them. People are astounded. I can name like seven of my neighbors. You know, we've, been, we've lived in a new house for like two months. And the sad thing is, many people don't know their neighbors. Well, how are we going to tell them about Jesus if we don't know them? I know that on a Sunday morning, most of the cars on my street don't go anywhere. That's over in Duval County. That's, you know, those people. But even here in Clay County, even here in Fleming Island, the normal thing is no longer that people know Christ and want to make his name great. So I'm just, I'm inviting you to take seriously our master's call. Make a friend. Invite them, not to church. I mean, maybe to church, but invite them to Jesus, which could mean church. It could mean Alpha. It could be a small group. It could be coffee a couple times a month. You don't have to save them. Jesus has promised that he will if they will come to him. He will not turn them away. that mission that began with Abram, that God desires to bless all the families of the earth. That's Jesus' mission. We belong to him. It's got to be ours. I don't know any other way to say it. And so, Lord, help us. Lord, we can't do your work without you. I pray that each of us would be moved to do it. Not because we are burdened, not because you want to assign us work, but Lord, we want to have the heart that you have to care about the things you care about. We want to do the works you are are at work in. I pray, Lord, in this, this worship service, you would put the names of people on our hearts that you would give us glimpses of places you, you, can, you can lead us to go. And so that we would learn to be not normal, but instead molded in your image. That we would become more like the one who saves us, Jesus Christ, your Son, who has given us his Holy Spirit for new life in you. And it's in his name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.